they have noted the use of Bitcoin on the BitPay platform has dropped to about 65% of process payments down from 92% in 2020. So not a surprise. People are using BTC to hold it and try to trade it rather than spend it on BitPay. And Ether grew to 15% of the total and stablecoins grew to 13% of the total. And the stablecoin transition is really what got me thinking because there's been this narrative on Twitter about Circle. Recently, there were some viral threads, Circle Pay, USDC, going viral, just talking about how startup uh, CFOs can use DeFi and stablecoins to generate yield as an alternative to traditional bonds, commercial paper, very traditional finance-oriented people who are looking at stablecoin products to manage corporate cash positions. And I've been wondering for a while why more startups don't do this. I've been on a couple different startup teams where we talk about earning our 1% on our, on our bank balance. And I'm just sitting there like, this is insane. I know of pools that we could go deploy this into that we could earn much more than that and not take on a ton of risk, take on some risk with the protocol risk. But um, yeah, I just think this is going to be more and more common. And this is really the institutional driver for crypto is going to be the search for yield, I think. So, Mike, what do you think about all of this stuff? I mean, so, yeah, Bitcoin's dominance going down for crypto payments. That's kind of... I feel like it's expected and they kind of covered in the article where, where there's typically a downturn in the market, meaning prices are going lower. People start spending less just because they want to see that price kind of get back to where it was before they kind of have faith in using it as a payment. And since Bitcoin is more of a storage of, you know, value as in gold and, you know, other things it's you know not the same as using usdc or usdt but talking about more on the you know startup side and trying to find good yields i mean it's kind of a no-brainer i don't really have a solid background in you know banking or traditional finance but i i mean it's you can't you just can't deny it and if you're not even talking about it you're doing you know, if you have shareholders, you're doing them a disservice. If you're just a board with a couple of buddies that are trying to make it, you're doing them a disservice by not bringing it up because, I mean, these percentages are like it barely hits 1% if you're trying to stay on a, you know, nine to 15 month turnaround. So I, I don't know. It's just, it seems like it's inevitable. And the question is just when, not if. Yeah, totally. And that's where this, this ramp article, the, the corporate treasurer, I guess the CFO, made a really interesting post that just ties this all together. I mean, here you have a startup that has raised over $620 million in debt and equity financing, and it's a real pool of money that they've raised. And as a head of finance, his response, his or her, I don't know, uh, looks like a gentleman, um, but has to manage this cash position, then that's the job is managing the cash position, ensuring that you're liquid. Sorry, can you still hear me? Okay, I had a a call come in. I had to swap. Yep, you're good. Ensuring that you're liquid and 
earning a yield on it. I mean, that's an, that's a responsibility to shareholders and making sure the business is sustainably run and that the capital is preserved. So stable coins can achieve that when you're looking at maybe an institutional option on BlockFi, or maybe you're managing your own wallets and doing pools on Terra, Anchor Protocol, other places like Curve uh, Finance, all these Ethereum products. There's a lot of options out there as a as a head of finance capital allocator to manage a cash position much beyond the the simple rates offered by corporate debt or even equities. So I think we're going to see more of this. This is a trend I, I don't expect to go away. So I think like a startup, if, if you were maybe a founder trying to make it easier for other startups to, to maybe allocate to this this asset class would be probably a good idea. Um, something to think about a little bit. But yeah, I completely agree with, with what you took away from it and don't have much more on it than that. Yeah, definitely. Well, if we're good with that, I will run into uh, Bitcoin miners' resilience to geopolitics as a healthy sign for the Bitcoin network. Uh, this article was on Cointelegraph, and there are a bunch of good infographics if you guys want to kind of click in and check those out. Um, the main point of the article is that Bitcoin, you know, as a network relies on proof of work, and miners play a key role in market dynamics of that network and the community. So back on January 5th, Kazakhstan shut down its internet services due to unprecedented political unrest uh, sparked by rising fuel prices. Um, Those prices have been all over the place the last two or three weeks. But as a result of that internet shutdown, the BTC network's mining hash rate declined 13% in the hours after the shutdown. This is basically because over the past year or two, Kazakhstan grew to account for almost 18% of Bitcoin's mining activity, which I had no idea that they were, you know, such a big player that they almost had a fifth of all BTC mining. But um, it became a hub after China banned Bitcoin mining operations and crypto services in 2021, which led a migration of mining companies to relocate, most of which kind of came over to the U.S., where we're sitting at almost you know 45% of the hash now. But um, a big one is Bitmining, uh, which is one of the larger BTC mining companies. And they said they're unlikely to flee their new home in Kazakhstan, but are closely monitoring and evaluating the ongoing political landscape. So basically, I mean, we were just talking about risk and return in a completely different arena, but it's kind of the same here. Like, how long can you stay in a country and benefit from whether it's low energy prices, you know, good Internet, whatever it may be? How long can you stay before that political unrest becomes too powerful to work around? Um, I mean, back in 2019, mainland China accounted for at least 75 percent of the hash rate. And that transitioned into a myriad of countries after China banned, you know, everything. They banned engaging in crypto transactions in May of 2021. They banned domestic crypto mining in June and then outlawed all cryptos in September. So, I mean, I tried to look up, uh, you know, when did China put a blanket ban on all crypto on Google? And the first article that popped up was from 2013. So as we all know, China's been doing this for quite a while. But um, it definitely says something that the mining hash rate hit a new all-time high on January 13th, uh, especially after the last year or so. Most of the you know main 
news networks like to blame downturns in the crypto market to China or new US law coming in. But I mean, it always recovers and it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy at this point. What do you think, Dylan? Yeah, I think this is an interesting one because we've been talking about it a little bit on the, the podcast about the, the resiliency of the network. But at the end of the day, these networks are still tied to legacy systems, energy grids, energy prices, regulatory bodies, and geopolitics. So it, the resiliency has proven itself, though, because if one country is banning it, they're just moving to another and with guys like Jack at Square, now called Block, really evangelizing more mining, making it easier for people to do it, I think that's going to – you have two opposing forces, right? You have the, the, dictate, the dictatorial countries trying to control this, and then you have guys like Jack, other founders on the, the entrepreneurial side of the equation – who are doing everything they can to make sure countries can't just put their foot on this and, and kill it. So I, you know, would put my bet on the, the entrepreneurial class and the, the founders of the world in, in the capitalist countries any day. So I'm optimistic, um, as you might think. And I, I would just add, I mean, this, this China ban was a little different than others. I think we all recognize that this was a little bit more, real because they were actually kicking them out of the country. So I would note it's a little different this time, but again, I don't know how they're going to be able to, you know, one country shut down the entire thing unless they were in control of the entire world and could control the, the internet and the electrical grid, the global electrical grid, you know, other than that, or a quantum computing earthquake, I don't really think, this can get shut down. So, <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Like, I know that I've said almost these exact words on the pod before, but like that blanket ban they did earlier this year was almost one of the best things for Bitcoin because I don't know at what percentage you consider it almost being a monopoly. But I mean, China having seventy five percent in September twenty nineteen, and now they have zero. I don't know if I've ever seen such a flip. Like, I don't have a comparison for somebody just you know, shutting down something that may be helpful in the future and beneficial in hundreds of ways in the future. And just, you know, I'm sure the Chinese government, obviously they're working on their CDBC and I'm sure they've got a bunch of other things behind, you know, closed doors, but um, even just stopping your public from gaining access to that, you're stopping, you know, future generations of thought and hard work whereas you know other countries i don't know it just it blows my mind that they did that i'm completely with you i'm completely with you i just as a as a native u.s citizen hope that we don't make similar mistakes at least but we (laughs) we'll keep talking that till the end of time so all right find me in europe i'm charlie karma thanks for listening would love to by the way charlie karma talk with you if you ever want to come on and maybe do an episode or something with us. We'd love to just pick your brain for some kind of guest Q and a or something sometime. So always feel free to uh, dial in anytime, but we'll be, we'll be in touch. Maybe shoot you guys messages later. So thanks for listening in Mike. Yeah. We'll talk to you later, man.